Welcome to episode 190 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right, hey guys, welcome along to episode 190 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. This is the first of two best of the years of 2009. And today, we've actually put the interview up of with Bobby McGee, the running coach that we had a lot of talk about around the time we had him on the show this year. And it's probably one of our most downloaded shows of the year. So we kind of decided to put that one up because uh, it was a pretty insightful interview. And I know that... I'm really considering doing the run walk in Monica, so I need to listen to it again myself. So I'm pretty much going to chuck the interview on, and then I've grabbed some sponsorship, and I think we talk about Yvonne Van Vlerken in the shower towards the end of the show as well. It's a short show, and next week will be short as well. Two weeks from now, we'll be back into it, and we'll have um, the normal show back on, but John will be on Epic Camp, so we'll have some Epic Camp interviews and uh, bring it on. Hope you had a wicked Christmas and got a big New Year's planned, and we'll catch up real soon. See you, bye. It's not really Coach's Corner, is it? Wow. Oh, Do you want to do an Coach's Corner. I arranged it. I did it. Bobby it's McGee. Bobby McGee. I love that name. He's a well. So tell me about him. Bobby's a well known coach. Um, does a lot of work with USA Try. He's a South African by birth and sort of raised. Does over he have there. the accent still? Because I have oh, a cool yeah. accent, say. Hey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you talking about, you yeah. fella? <laughs> so, Going um, over there in Kitova. He's, uh, we watched a pair of one the other day, my daughter and I. Very good. Yeah, well, it's based in South Africa. Yeah. They talk like this in the movie. That's good. Bobby talks like that too. And <laughs> um, yeah, just listen up, basically going through a, f- a few things you find interesting and then the run-walk protocol. We, we touch on Rasmus Henning's uh, marathon time. Oh, and he and thinks he can uh, do it, doesn't he? And, well, you can find out. <clears> listen oh, to why it. Why don't we listen to it right now? <laughs> there you go. All right, here we go. Okay, on this week's show, we're very happy to have uh, Bobby McGee, um, very well-known endurance coach from uh, States, but originally from elsewhere, which we'll find out in, in a moment. Um, and for the listeners who, who have followed Gordo closely, you've probably heard him talk a little bit before in the past, and uh, he's also got a few new books out that we're going to discuss. So um, welcome along to the show, Bobby. Thank you for having me. That's okay. Hey, Bobby, I mean, as I said, a number of the listeners will have um, probably followed you a bit with Gordo, but um, especially for the, those who haven't followed uh, you in the past, maybe just give us a bit of background into your um, introduction into triathlon and, and, and sort of where you've come from originally. All righty. Um, I'm, I'm a South African by birth, and I did most of my sport and most of my studying in South Africa, so that's where my background is. I started with triathlon. In uh, 1986, I wanted to do an Ironman, and I was a track and field coach at the time and, uh, and a roadrunner. And that's my background. I was co- uh, coaching milers at a university uh, at an international level and uh, did the Ironman and uh, ended up, you know, coaching triathletes. And uh, I, I always said to myself, you know, as soon as I end up coaching something, I'm not going to do it anymore. So I think I had 
10 years of triathlon and then I became a damn triathlon coach and that went out the window too. And so now I play golf and refuse to coach anybody but my son. <laughs> do, you, um, do, you still, do you still run yourself much or do you, is it pretty much refined to the golfing? No, it's pretty much refined to the golfing. I try and keep fit. I do quite a bit of walking. I, uh, I uh, severed a hamstring. I ruptured a hamstring in, in about 2000, I think, uh, playing touch rugby in South Africa in the mountains and couldn't get it seen to for about a week. And so it, uh, it pretty ended up the running. I, I did c- come back and run a little bit, but it uh, was a, a, a seriously real pain in the butt, you know, yeah, <laughs> and I yeah. couldn't get back. Anyway, so I didn't get back to any kind of time. So, you know, I just mess around. So when I do drills and so on with, with the athletes and so on, I do some strides and some sprints and stuff. But uh, gone are the days of a five o'clock in the morning hour run. No longer. <laughs> you still follow those spring box? Absolutely, we just uh, gave you guys a clap on the weekend, and so I'm glad to hear, I'm glad about that. Spruce, <laughs> there must have been food poisoning again. <laughs> yeah, it must have been something like that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, I mean, obviously, we're going to focus a bit on the the Ironman um, distance when we discuss this, but I've always got my ITU hat on as well. I mean, what what do you think of the the changing nature of the the run discipline and and triathlon at the moment? It seems the, the, a lot of it's coming down to sprint finishes, and and with the athletes, maybe you're working at that level. Does that does that tr- change? the way that those athletes train much in terms of preparing themselves for a sprint finish as opposed to like a a 10k even split you know it it does but it all depends on the level of the athlete you know strange with my work in the u.s a lot of my work is done working with swimmers and uh, people that come from other backgrounds other than running backgrounds trying to turn them into uh, runners but what happens is is that uh, you know you go you f- the first thing you do is is work on the mechanics the second thing you do is working on making them a competitive time trialist so they can run an even split 10k and then when they get to the level you know that they are at now then uh, you start working on tactically and i remember in my talks with harry wilson uh, steve avet's coach you know that, that that's what you do is you you coach somebody to run a time trial uh, and then run a sort of in, at, a, at, at the highest pace they can possibly run, but even, and then you change them to into a tactical racer. Mm. And so, you know, with my work with Jared Schumacher, who won this weekend in, in Hamburg in Germany, he, uh, you know, he was a, a collegiate runner. He's always been a, a low 14-minute 5K runner. Yeah. So, you know, this comes naturally to him. Uh, but for people like Andy Potts and so on, who, you know, they, they come from a swimming background, we actually designed workouts for them. Andy does a workout uh, where he does 900 meters, but he, do, he runs an uneven pace. He might run 300 at, at race pace, 300 kick, 300 race pace again, and then he'll change it up like that so that these guys learn how to run like track runners or like 10K road runners because it's come down to that. and. Mm. Javier Gomez is the guy who started that. You know, he he's typically has this big surge at, uh, out of transition. He might run the first K in 250 or something like that. And then he'll wait again till 3K and try and burn the guys again and then wait until 7K, knowing that he didn't have the finishing sprint. And when it was fun at the Olympics to watch Jan Fredino and these guys, it was a track race. You could see Simon Whitfield thinking like a track runner. And then you could see Jan Fredino coming up on his blind side. And it was it's, it's a very exciting to have all these very very fast finishes with the men and the women and then the the runners the true runners or the runners that have been trained to run like road runners or like track runners coming through and winning those races it's very very exciting what um i mean there's a lot of debate out there in terms of actually how fast the guys are going because um 
you know, the courses are often short or long or hilly or whatever. What, you know, those, those top, top handful of guys, you know, Doherty, Schumacher, um, Gomez, and, and especially probably Brownlee, what, what do they run, say, for a, would you say they run for a fresh 10K? Well, we had the, the when Brownlee made his breakthrough just two weeks before he had his first breakthrough ITU race, he actually ran a 29.30 or a 29.31 flat 10K. Mm-hmm. And I know guys like Hunter Kemper are clearly when, when you know when I watch them training and when we do some work together, they clearly you know low low twenty nine minute guys. But I think there's some guys out there that could, if they specifically trained like Jared, you know, uh, there's a there's an American kid. Uh, what is his name? Uh, Brown, I think. Um, and he he's he's run a collegiate twenty eight fifty or something like that. But I think the guys are going to need to be. 20, 28 and a half to you know to twenty nine flat for for a for an open ten k to be competitive because you're right New Plymouth and these courses where the guys are running twenty nine and low twenty nines they're not they're not correct the course length is not correct I don't think anybody's actually ever run sub thirty yet off the bike. Anyway, we better get back to the topic that I was <laughs> okay. rather talking ITU stuff. I get excited about it. But anyway, um, one of the things that I've been working on with a lot of the athletes I work with um, recently is, is moving to this run-walk protocol that I know you're a big fan of. So can you maybe just tell us um, a bit of background with that and, and sort of what's going on with, with your body in terms of um, the physiology of it when, when people start adopting a run-walk um, policy in their, their training and racing? Sure. Yeah, uh, Gordo on Endurance Corner has published some stuff as well about what you know what I've done and and what his experiments have been. But I'll, I'll happily go through that too. To me, it's uh, from from a subjective standpoint, I'm blown away that more people aren't doing this, and I really think that the that the professional Ironman athlete, the the, the great Ironman athlete, is eventually going to figure out how to run two thirty five, two thirty off the bike using the run walk method. That's that's how convinced I am. But anyway, I started off by you know I, I know Jeff Galloway very well and uh, have worked with him in the past before. You know, we've shared stages and so on with uh, talks, and uh, I've always liked his approach to it. Um, and he—he's the one that basically initiated this for the average runner uh, who wants to run a marathon, transition up, run only three days a week, and use the walk-run method. But doing analyses of ultra marathons and Ironman races. And I speak to people and they say, look, I, I, this is what I'm in, intending to run. And I'm saying, okay, that's, you know, 13-minute miles or that's 14-minute miles. And I'm saying, how much of this race do you, in, you know, do you intend to walk? Oh, no, no, I want to run the whole way. Mm. And then with post-race analysis, they're always walking a good 10% of the race, if not more. And the walking is all reactive. So, in other words, they're running until they get hammered into walking and 90% of, of, of Ironman triathletes have to walk anyway. You know, often winners have had sections where they walk and they, and they still pull it off, you know. And um, so, you know, when I start off with somebody doing that, I actually have them go and run a 90-minute run and then a week later go and run a 90-minute run and then do the walk-run method. And typically they run faster, they recover quicker and that kind of thing. But I'll go through that in detail. Mm. Uh, but by taking that analysis – and the first person I ever did it with was an ultramarathon runner. And I just said, you will walk 10 minutes off the start line and you will never run more than 10 minutes before you take a walk break. Yeah. And if you can, take only a minute walk break. But, but that was the rule. And she took two and a half minutes, I mean, two and a half hours off her best time ever mm-hmm. in a hundred miler, you know, by using that method. 
So, you know, the benefits, I'm talking to Tim Noakes at the moment about doing a study or a number of studies, and I'm talking to Bob Sibaha, the, the, ex, the uh, sports nutritionist from the U.S. here who went with our Olympic team, about doing a study to prove that it, that it works on all these levels. So, you know, what I'm going to give you guys now is empirical, yeah. but d- definitely on treadmill tests, a lower heart rate overall for the same speed. So let's say you're running 16K or something like that. Yeah. You can achieve 16K with a, with a lower heart rate because you keep dropping the heart rate every 10 minutes or whatever your interval is. Yeah. I strongly suspect that your fat burning, your ability to fat burn and your fat burning during the walk run will be much, much more effective than if you were running the whole way. Just because you, you're accessing such a lower percentage of your VO2 max that it just makes it easier for your body to adapt. So I think you'll learn to fat burn better. You will fat burn better when you race. And of course, you will, uh, you know, um, you'll have all those benefits during training as well. Yeah. You're able to do more volume in training sooner. In other words, you know, if you're running, if you're only running, you normally find that, um, uh, you know, 10%, 12%, maybe 15% if you're mechanically very sound is what you can increase your volume from week to week. With a walk-run method, you can probably go 15 to 20% in increases in your in your in your run volume without without the breakdown that you would typically expect. And uh, so, you know, you can up that volume straight away and you can do it much quicker as well. So, you know, you find, let's say you were doing, uh, you know, 40 or 50 or 60K a week, you're now suddenly able to do, you know, 50, 60, 70K a week for the, you know, for the same effort without, without the breakdown, without the breakdown. Decreased cardiovascular and vascular peripheral fatigue. When I started using it, that was the biggest thing for me is, is that I, I noticed that there was, um, that athletes were able to get, higher heart rates later on. So I do a workout like four times 5K, which is a typical marathon workout. Mm-hmm. And uh, I preload them. So they might do a 15K or, or something like that before that, nice and easy. And then they'd run three times 5K at, at marathon race pace mm-hmm. and found that they weren't able to keep their heart rate in, the, in, in that um, um, tempo zone that I wanted and why I call it the steady state H or the steady state M zone, steady state marathon zone. And they weren't, be able, weren't able to get their heart rates up because their leg strength was failing at that stage. Okay. But with the walk-run method, they seem to maintain leg strength better because the big thing with the walk-run method is, is there's no fadeaway at the end like there is with, with straight-out running. Sure. The big caveat, though, is, is how you walk and how you transition in and out of the walk break. That, that was the biggest thing for me is, is, you know, people would say, it doesn't work for me. I find if I take a walk, I can't get going again. I feel my legs have shut down. And then when I look at them, I ask them to send me a video of their transition and how they're walking. Their walking cadence is way too slow. It's under 60 and it should be 65 to 75. And they drop their arms down. They take this long loping gait and they basically defacilitate and de-recruit. So it's a very short, rapid step walk with the arms held like a runner. And it's a kind of a, a cyclic little turnover as opposed to a single phase step, 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 you know. So it's a really high cadence. So you're and the inner- a little bit like, you know, like what you see the walkers in, in, the mar- in, in the Olympics and so on, not obviously making sure their feet are always in contact, but trying to keep a fairly high cadence up. Exactly. If I always say, if you're watching somebody running behind a wall, and uh, you can only see them from the waist up, when they break into the walk, all you see is them going a little slower, yeah. and but you see nothing else. Okay. The cadence stays the same, the rhythm stays the same, the arms stay the same, the body angle stays the same, but they just they just transition much much more smoothly. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, I, th- I think probably the feedback I've had from a few people as well is they find it um, mentally gives them um, a little bit of a break, you know, and they, they've got something they can focus on other than just uh, slogging through the distance. And have you also found much in terms of um, absorption, in terms of the, the nutrition people are taking on, especially, say, in an Ironman race? Oh, absolutely. You know, but we've known this from the marathon uh, and in the Ironman itself is is that when you walk through the aid stations, you know, your heart rate drops, you absorb it better. And when you run through aid stations anyway, heart rate's too high. I've had this with my elite marathon runners as well, is that their heart rates go up six, seven beats through the the aid stations uh, just because of the the tactical maneuvers of grabbing a bottle and staying on, on pace and things like that. So what I make them do now is grab that bottle, run through the aid station. And then when their heart rate settles down, they get their rhythm back again, then you then then ingest. So this is just one step further than that. When you're walking, you absorb fluids better. Mechanically, you absorb fluids and nutrition better just because your gut is not shaking around so much. Mm. But also from, from a perspective of lower heart rate and that kind of thing, it, sh- it should make it easier. And again, I don't have any scientific studies to do that. Mm. But, you know, instinctively, people who are in a, a long race and that are not going that fast do always stop and try and you know walk when they're drinking their drinks or having their nutrition and, and how do you sort of figure out what's the best ratio for you you mentioned say the 10 minutes on one minute off I've, I've heard other people doing you know five minutes on 30 seconds off is there a particular ratio you prefer and, and how do people sort of figure that one out for themselves yeah it um it's a, you know, I use the 10-1 mostly, and then when in races, whether it's an Ironman or whether it's a marathon, I use something which I've just named the Zard formula, Z-A-R-D or Z-A-R-D, yeah. where they go the first third of the run, they, they walk, they go 10 minutes run, and they walk for 30 seconds. And the second third of the run, they go 10 minutes walk, walk 45 seconds, and then the third third, they go 10, 10 run, one walk. And uh, very interestingly, I've had people negative split that way. They actually go faster when they're walking for a minute. Okay. <laughs> very interesting. Right. But it all depends on, on the fitness level. You know, if you've got a, a very big guy, let's say you've got a guy, he's, you know, uh, 80, 90 kilos and he wants to do an Ironman marathon, uh, he, you know, he's got a lot of strength, but he doesn't have a lot of endurance. And even if he trains effectively, he's going to be better off doing something like 5 minutes 15 seconds or 5 minutes 30 seconds mm-hmm. or even less than that. And then I've also had guys go 10-1, and as they fatigue, they go 7-1, 6-1, you know, and they just bring it down that way. So it's, it's very much based on, on velocity and performance. If, if you find that when you're running, you're running so slowly that you're better off taking a, a, you know, a quicker walk interval and then being able to maintain good pace for three minutes, then, then that's a way to go. But that's the way you would do it. So an elite guy might go, I, I wouldn't let anybody go further than 15 minutes, but I actually prefer 10. Yeah. So an elite guy might want to go 10, 10 run, 15 walk, and, and you know the guys have done sub 230 for the marathon that way. I mean, I think um, you know, in terms of the message you're getting across, for people who are, say, you know, four-hour and beyond um, marathoners, whether that be in a fresh marathon or a, um, uh, uh, an Ironman marathon, they're probably going to be think, think, sitting here thinking, yeah, I can, I can understand the rationale behind that and doing it. I think um, the struggle um, we have is, is the guys that are, say, three hours and below in, a, in an Ironman or, or a fresh marathon, they're going to start worrying that they, they can't um, re- recruit that time. I mean, um, so you've found with, with even as fast as 2 hour 30 that there's still benefits in doing the walking. 
Absolutely. Gordo himself has done two 75-minute um, half Ironman runs with the walk-run method. You know, so one that that's right on 2.30 pace, you know. So if you think if you can do 1.15 for a half marathon with a walk-run method, then, you know, again, the question you always ask yourself is, is could he do 1.15 without it? You know what I'm saying? So, in other words, I think what happens is, is you know, there was a rumor, and, and, and I should actually ask him if it's true because he lives in town and I speak to him quite often, is that Greg Bennett used to do walk training at after hours so nobody would see him walking because <laughs> but it was, it was so good for him, but he, he felt that he didn't want anybody to see him. So, the big thing with the walk-run method is, is people just cannot get it past their ego. So, I say to them, yeah. <laughs> What, what do you want to run off the bike? Okay, I want to run four hours off the bike. Okay, good. Do you want to say, I ran the whole way, but I did 4.30, or do you want to say, I did 3.55, uh, and nobody's going to ask you how you did it, mm. but if you did 3.55 with a walk-run method, you went 25 minutes faster, but, oh, at least I ran the whole way. I know I took 4.30, and you went 3.55, but you cheated. You know, you walked. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that ego part of, that's very difficult, especially for the guys. Oh, but what I normally say to people is you play the game. You know, when you do the walk-run, people come by you, especially when you're doing your walk section, and then they start getting a little less further ahead of you, a little less further ahead of you, and then eventually they, you can see them battling to keep up with you, and eventually you don't see them anymore. And the big thing is, is you pass droves and droves and droves of people over the last 10, 15K, you know, mm. because you, you just don't drop off. It's just a rhythm for you and for them as they really struggling to even keep going at that stage. Yeah. I, I've been playing around with myself and I definitely find the, the ego thing uh, takes a little bit of getting used to uh, dropping into a walk. But hey, um, I mean, for someone like who, who is a three-hour marathon, in my last time and I did um, three hours flat, Doing, you know, run it, running the whole way. Um, yeah. Is, is it uh, you, you've really got to look at obviously increasing the speed that you run to to, to make sure you rec- recruit that um, re- regroup that time that you've missed out. So, you know, say a three-hour marathon, you got to average four minute sixteen k pace. I was sort of trying to work out my what pace I'd need to sustain um, to go under three hours if I was having that. You know, doing a nine minute on, one minute off. So you do actually have to run quicker um, in between that walking time, obviously. Yeah, now you now you start getting into uh, the the science of it, and you know, let's say, uh, let's say you want to do a sub four hour. This is the, the the math that I did for you based on our on our yeah. on our pre conversation, um, and you want to go the ten one ratio. All right, so it would be, you have to go five thirty nine point eight per k if you run the whole way. Mm-hmm. All right, so if you walk run, uh, let's say you can do nine minutes per k at your best walking pace, mm-hmm. which is con- conservative, but let's call it that. Mm-hmm. All right. So to run the whole way would give you a pace of 30.9 per 1/11th of a K. Okay. All right. And then your walk pace is 49.1 for 1/11th. So you remember you're running 10/11ths and you're walking 1/11th. Yeah. So your net loss is 18.2 seconds per K. Yeah. All right. Th- and therefore you need to run 519.8 pace instead of 539 pace yeah. to defray the walk uh, pace cost. But in actuality, it's probably easier for you to run about five tens for 10-minute chunks. So what people do is is when they first come to it, they think about it theoretically, and then they try and do the math like we've just done. 
and uh, end up finding out, wait a minute, um, my heart rate's not getting that high. I can comfortably run 510s. I'm already work, walking the nine minutes per K, so my overall pace is a little bit fast. And the mindset is, I'm running for 10 minutes, then I'm getting a walk break. I'm running for 10 minutes, I'm getting a walk break. I'm running for 10 minutes. So people can, they need to put a lid on it because they could probably run 450s. Exactly, yeah. All right. So, so the the thing to do is is to take a bigger chunk and go and do the math for your not do the math. Do the do the test for yourself in terms of fuel, in terms of core temperature, in terms of maintaining pace. And that's why I'm saying a 90 minute run or a 25k run or something like that, and then do another 25k run using the walk run method, and prove it to yourself that wait a minute, not only is this easier for me to do and more efficient for me to do in terms of nutrition and heat management and, and pace management and everything else, it's actually just faster. Mm. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So, so uh, that, you know, that's the thing. And then also you have a look at your three-hour marathon that you did in your last Ironman and ask yourself, did I lose a lot from, from, uh, from 16 miles on? Did, you know, were my last 16Ks considerably slower than my, my first 16K? And if you kept pretty steady towards the end, well, then you probably find you, could, you, you, you can stick with the running. But if there was some drop-off at the end and you were really struggling, you know, you, you, let's say you won 253 or 254 pace for a long time and then lost six minutes over the last hour or something like that, then it might be something you want to look into. I think, you know, typically the, the, the message you know, most triathlon coaches get is uh, you'll hear so many stories. Of, everything was going so well until I got to about the 30K mark. And that's, that's a typical story you heard, and this obviously sounds like it could be a, um, a solution to that, so I think it's definitely something people should be trying. Is there any, um, other than just doing the hard maths, in any of your books, do you have any, is there any way of, any formulas you can use, um, or is it just a case of you've got to figure out your, your walking pace and then just do the maths um, for figuring out your run speed? That's what I'd, uh, what I would suggest. But as I say, for most of my athletes, I don't do it because I'll simply go and say, we're going to do a 16K tempo run or we're going to do a 20K tempo run or we're going to do a 25K tempo run and let's do it this way. And then in a week, you know, let's first just do it running the way you used to do it. And a week later, we'll just do it, you know, with a walk run method. And then all your training becomes that. So instead of saying to yourself, all right, I've got to figure it out for this race, you're saying, no, my training is walk run training. In my training, my tempo runs are at this, my time trials are at this, my off the bike bricks are this, my, you know, my combination training is this. And so in other words, you, you don't consider it as walk run, you consider it as the way that you continue doing this race after T2. And so all your training becomes the same it would before. So what's your pace? My pace is 5.39 a K. That's what I want to race at. And that's what I train at. Oh, I, and I use the walk-run method. But I don't figure that in like, oh, shoot, when I'm running, I have to run at 5.19s. Yeah, yeah. You see what okay. I'm saying? Yeah. No, it's, yeah. it's for, for the athletes I've been uh, trialing with, they, they've been uh, getting some really positive results from it. And I think probably one of the another one of the key things that the feedback they're giving me is uh, they're finding it significantly less fatigue um, from from especially their long runs and they're able to you know crack into the rest of their training for, for the rest of the week and and, and especially when um, you know, if you're running three hours and, and some people even like to run beyond three hours and listeners know that I'm not a, not a big fan of that um, they do find that it's just you know that just wrecks them for the rest of the week so that they're finding that this method is, is really enabling them to crack on with their rest of the training a lot quicker and that's what the exercise physiologists tell us all the time. You've got to train consistently and continuously. And you can't do any kind of training that shatters you so much 
that you actually start to detrain before you can train again. And that, that's such an important thing. So what people don't realize is, is that, A, when you are forced to walk in an Ironman, you have not trained to walk. Yeah. All right? So, and so the mindset is negative and the physiological capabilities, the training is not there. But when you train to walk run, you have set your mindset. You're proactively walking from the start. Um, you're probably better off walking for the first three minutes out of T2. You probably end up running way, way fast at the end of the day. And, you you know, you've also – that whole thing is part of of your mindset, you know. So um, I think that that's what people are going to find very, very quickly. Pretty soon it's going to be – I mean, I teach uh, to USA Triathlon coaches at least once a month throughout the year and every time I get to a level two or a level three coaching course people come to me and they say well I've got this athlete you know he's 59 or I've got this athlete she's 26 and she just took seven minutes off her Ironman time and all her training times were the same all she did was the walk run method you know so it's pretty cool oh, very good well guys if anybody out there does have any uh, success stories once you get rolling with this um, please do send them in Bobby you've also got um, a few books you know, I'm looking on your website there and one of the ones that um, looks appealing to me is, is your run workout for runners and triathletes maybe tell us about some of the, the titles you've got there on your website yeah, well, I've got three titles. Uh, the one is my first book. It's called Magical Running, and it's a, a book about the sports psychology, and it goes all from the scientific approach of visualization, affirmations, and that kind of thing, all the way to the little bit more esoteric about asking yourself a question, why do you compete, and you know what's it all for? So it's, it's very much a mental skills book, and it's set up like a workbook, so there's lots of place for you to do, develop your, your mental skills over, a, over a, any specific training phase, and the book is set up for over a year, you can you know you can convert it into a you know a six months to an Ironman or three months to a to an ITU race or whatever the case might be, and the second book is called uh, Running Sports Essentials, which just covers uh, muscle activation, uh, dynamic warm ups, um, core work, and post exercise stretching. And it talks about active release stretching, which is uh, which is all the rage at the moment and works extremely well. And then my latest book, which is um, run workouts for runners and triathletes and that's set up a bunch of training programs i think it's one of the few books out there that offers running programs for um, olympic distance triathlon half ironman and ironman but doesn't put in any cycling and doesn't put in any swimming that's that's that's, and uh um, it's also got all those workouts and funny enough jared schumacher's coach said to me about six weeks ago that he loves the book because, you know, he does all the right type of work with Jared, but sometimes the workouts get boring, so he goes and looks in the in the appropriate section and he finds this plethora of workouts that he can choose from, and, and apparently Jared really enjoys that. Oh, very good. And they're all available at uh, bobbymcgee.com. We'll have a link of, on that um, up to the on our website this week. So one other question I've just been thinking about, and, and it caused a bit of debate a couple of weeks ago on the show. We had uh, Rasmus Henning on the show, and we've now got five questions. We ask all pro athletes who just sort of quick fire questions at the end of the interview and um we asked him how quick he he, could, he thinks he could run a fresh marathon what uh, you know for, for the top top ironman guys and, and, the, and the top runners um that are you know macker and and crowey and and perhaps rasmus what do you think they're capable of running a, a fresh marathon in approximately um you know i like to work on that four to seven percent rule so you know four to seven percent faster than they can can run off the bike uh but if you if you look at those kind of guys you know you're thinking maybe 30 minutes 
you know, so I'm thinking, you know, I'm looking at the, at the ultra marathon days and so on as well. Do you think of, of, you know, guys like Mark Allen and so on? Probably if you're a 245 guy off the bike, you probably, if you train specifically for it and you got your pacing right, you might be like a 215 guy, a 214 guy, 216, somewhere in there. I don't know if they if they felt the same way. Well, he, he said 212 and we, we thought that was a bit quick and, and, a, and a few of our um, listeners that, were, that are fairly well-known runners sort of said that's just ridiculous and, and I was <laughs> I was of the thoughts that um, it probably just a little bit under 220 would be about right for, for a lot of those guys if they train fairly specifically for it. Yeah, and it also depends on the build of the guy, you know. So I think like maybe a guy like Simon Whitfield, he might be able to go under 215. Yeah. Uh, but Rasmus is a big boy. I don't know if he'll be able to run that fast for that long. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and your prediction, any predictions for Kona this year? Do you think anybody's going to come out of the hat and, and rip it? You know, I haven't seen, you know, from the blogs and from following along with stuff like that. I, was, I had some chats with Cliff English the other day. I haven't I haven't seen anybody but the usual suspects, you know, showing any kind of form that seems to, to make, a, make a, a breakout performance uh, likely this year. Well, one, one thing, you, if you've been talking to Cliff English, obviously we had uh, Lake Placid at the weekend. We saw Sam McGlone finish second there, which was um, a little bit of a surprise. Do you know if she was just racing that just to get a qualifying spot or she was actually racing it as a race? I don't know, but Sam has been struggling for a very long time to to overcome a, an Achilles injury. And uh, so she's been building up for, for quite a while. So I'm not sure. What did, what was her run split? I didn't get to see what her run split it was. It wasn't on fire. It wasn't anything super special. It wasn't like three hours or anything like that. Okay, okay. No, I, I, I think she probably came out to qualify. But I also know that she hasn't been... Um, uh, you know, she hasn't been pushing very, very hard on the run. I think she's been trying to build some volume and, and get healthy again, you know. Interesting to see how she goes. Anyway, thanks very much for your time, Bobby. Guys, you, if you want to check out um, Bobby's books, again, you can go to bobbymcgee.com and we'll have a link up on the site for that. And uh, maybe we'll get Bobby back at some stage, maybe talk a bit more about the magical running side of things and, and the mental skills. So thanks very much for your time, Bobby, and um, all the rest, best for the rest of the year. Good luck, guys, and thanks for having me, John. Anyway, sponsors. Just going back to the interview one more time is we're aware we had a poor performance. Yeah, and we will get on again and we'll, we'll do deeper and next if time. And we, if we do badly again next time, I expect to get a barrage of emails. Yeah, well, we'll call you the mushroom all the time. Yeah, yeah that's right. Okay. Flinks.com. The special is still going. The competition. Uh, I Oh, I think it was it was closing uh, very okay. quickly. See, if you you may want to try your luck and get on there um, one last time in the next couple of days, but I think it did finish uh, at the end of uh, end of June. But anyway, it looks like it's still up on the homepage there. So um, if you get this, get on there. What you needed to do was go on, claim your races, put in a little mini um, race report, and also add try buyers as a friend. And you go in the draw and you get to win lots of prizes. Game, Athlinks is really great, and that they are up to sixty-eight thousand members. So I remember when we were looking, they were looking to break through fifty thousand a while ago. So, yeah, so it's, it's cool, still expanding. It's great. Hundred thousand, it's a goal. Hundred thousand, it is. It's great to see a few. Um, we, we always uh, log on from Bevan's Identity, so it's good to see a few more New Zealand clubs popping up there. But I, I really think it's a great tool for your clubs. It's a great way of filtering. If you can get everybody on board there, it's a great way of filtering through results and. Uh, 
yeah, it's awesome. And, and if you haven't got someone who's a real good web geek in your club, you know, it's just an easy way to get a website up that everyone can communicate with. That's right. You know, and the thing is, you don't have to. You know, most people who do websites don't know how to do forums or don't know how to do all these other things that you can make it really community based. Whereas Athlinks do it all for you. So yeah, really yeah. get on. Remember, click an ad, make them some money when you're on the site. Coffees of Hawaii. Now the Albanator sent us through an email. Oh, you, have you got it? Do you want yeah, me to pull up? Put it, put it, I'll put it on there. Oh, so the Albanator was. Uh, so we, we, a few weeks ago, I said Alban, 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 and the Chickmans. <laughs> Albert, um, what coffee does he have on race week? That's right. And he sent us a reply. Do you want me to read it because you're a bit blind? Yes. Okay. Well, I'll read it. Um, make it bigger. Make it bigger. Because Bevan was wondering whether you have coffee on race. He has coffee on race morning. It's not even funny. You're the only one, only one laughing here. Oh, I thought it was hilarious. Here we go, John. Can um, you read that? Albert's regular coffee consumption is two cups of Muller Skimmer every AM. Nice. In the week before an Ironman, I ditch the coffee and go with a new product that we're working on that is almost zero caffeine but monsters amounts of antioxidants. So well, stay tuned. Hope to have it available on sale soon from the website. So look out for that one. Then on race morning, I go for some monster cups of our espresso Molokai style. Um, has been a good amped mood for 7 a.m. race start, especially this year at Ironman Quarter Lane where it was freezing all day. Nice. There we go. Nice. So Great that's bit. what the Albinator does. So stay tuned for the for the antioxidant stuff as well. That's right. So get on to coffeesofwai.com, use the code IMTALK, and you get yourself a 20% discount. And it's all good in the hood. All good in the hood. And then you go to Try Buys and you buy some gear. And what gear do you buy, John? I buy all sorts of gear, Bevan. Oh, what, what are you? I'm going to try talk. <sighs> Get your favourite sorted out. I know, I like Try Talk. It's good. Uh, try Buys. Oh, try Buys.com. Not Try Talk.com. Right. I've still got the bike. Still got the Quantana Roos up there. It's a pretty, pretty special deal I've got. So if you are looking for a bike, Try Buys. Make it an option. Feature and a data try t-shirts. Get Honestly, on, guys, it's a no-brainer. Even if you don't like triathlon, you can warm your family. You still got another got, t-shirt on, John. Well, we got this, this week Mission Bay yep. seventy-four. You know, if you've got cold children and it's recession time, twelve dollars for a t-shirt. That's right. It's a no-brainer. Organic cotton. cotton. Remember Stephen Lord on Epic Camp? Yep. He said, "I couldn't believe it until I actually tried one of them on and felt that organic cotton." <laughs> And he was dead serious. It was it was like a walking advertisement for them. They've also got some uh, the endurance films, open water swimming, so for technique and stuff, and that's half price as well. Some nice sunnies on there. Basically, we, we click on the special page. Yeah, the Orca Apex Two, normally five hundred and twenty five dollars, two hundred and eighty eight dollars. I know we like our blue seventies, but that's a bargain. Mm-hmm. Um, so remember, if you're offshore, uh, spend over five hundred US and you get that shipped for free. So if you buy a couple of wetsuits, you and a mate, you, it's the uh, shipping's for free. In the states, any of these products on there, over uh, anything over two hundred bucks, you get it shipped for free as well. Yeah, it's all good. I try go, can go there. Sorry, so, trybuys.com, your one-stop try shop. Oh, John, you're a legend. Oh, here it is. <laughs> so I'll turn it down. I'll just watch you as. I, so sponsors are trybuys.com. Uh, get the deals. Athlinks.com. <laughs> John's watching Evil Maverick and get, get wet in white clothes. And copiesofwai.com. <laughs> what on earth is she doing? So she's in the bath. I'll give, her, I'll give her a commentary. She's in the bath. She's got her swimsuit on that she's going to wear in the race. Fast forward a little bit, John. Fast forward. And she's wetting her body. <laughs> but don't worry, she comes back. 
and she's when the body says if it's see through, and it is see through. Do you want to see that? <laughs> that, <laughs> that, is, that is interesting. And the thing is, they put it up there, Thomas. If you listen to the show, that's not good PR. Well, it is if you. It's good coverage for sponsors. Are you looking at the sponsors right now, John? <laughs> Crikey. <laughs> Crikey, Dick. Interesting. That's how we roll. There we go. So uh, are you going to put a link up on the... Yeah, I'll put a link to that on the show notes. Do we have to call this podcast then? Uh, we can't be called sexist for that because that's what they put out there. Yeah. And we're not being sexist, we're just commenting. Yeah. Interesting. There we go. I'm sure she just got a few more fans. <laughs> oh, we got Vine Man. Vine Man's coming up soon. They sent us through some fashionable tops. They did. You need to bring your camera around next week because my daughter lost my camera. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can do that. And we'll take some photos and put them on the website. Yep. So if you're on Dubai, man, it's a few weeks away, August. Mm-hmm. Gonna start trading now. John Jury's going to be there with his uh, with his poem. Maybe maybe they should make him recite the the, the beatbox poem. I reckon that prize could be that could maybe be instead of having music in the background, it could be our rap. Mm. We'll send a copy through. What are you up to this week, Bevan? Uh, this week in my life, John. This week, oh, social week. Going to scared scriptless. Have you been to that? Scared scriptless. No. Remember that program? Whose line is it anyway? Yeah. Did you like that? It was okay. Oh, come on, John, that was one of the best programs ever. Whatever. What program have you loved? Because whenever I say this, you go, oh, that was okay. Uh, I'm, I'm a sport junkie, Bevan. I know, but come on, there must be one program. There is a couple of programs. Do you um, like House? House seems to be popular at the moment. How, we, do, we do watch a little bit of House. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think. Did you like the Cosby Show? Cosby Show was good. No, but John, I'm talking love here. I did like Friends. Friends? You loved Friends, didn't you? I Who was friends. your favourite character? Joey? Joey's good. One one that I'm quite liking at the moment, Here actually, Bevan, one that I'm quite liking at the moment is Two and a Half Men. Oh, okay. Quite What's like that? It. It's quite funny. Friday night, kick back. Friday night, kick back, Two and a Half Men. A bit of Rove afterwards. A bit of Rove. He's always entertaining, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's good. Yeah. Okay, well, we're going to Scared Scriptless and we're going to have a cranium night. No, we'll talk about this often. Mm-hmm. Cranium night. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, it was food. Um, cranium night. And then we've got Joe and I. We're going rock climbing on the weekend. Or indoor rock climbing. I was going to say, it's pretty fresh outside going rock climbing. Have you done indoor rock climbing? Uh, we did it on my stag tour. I think we went out, we had to climb up the rock wall. Rock, rock wall. And were you drunk? Way, way, well, I, was, uh, I wasn't at that stage, but I was, I was on my way. Was it good? Were you good? You need forearm strength, eh? Yeah, hey? I do forearm strength. Yeah. yeah it's tough. I wasn't that good, but I'm sure you'll be outstanding. Well, Joe will probably be pretty good because she's a lightweight. My girl's a lightweight man. Right. And she'll just fly. She'll be Spider-Man. You're going to have a race up there? Competitive? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. How much you'd start? I tend to better most things, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, because we've, we've figured out a way to play 500. You know, the cards game 500. Yeah. You can play cards, you, play, you basically deal four hands. Yeah. And then you play the two against each other. And I've, she hasn't she beat me once. I love it. So. But you don't rub it in. It's a relationship ender. <laughs> what are you up to? Uh, what am I up to this week? I've got a striding on clinic on Sunday. Anybody in Christchurch, we've still got spaces for striding on. If you want to come and do it, it's bloody good. It is bloody so good. So it's going to be on Sunday for half a day. What's the weather meant to be? I've got, I've got indoor booking oh. available if, if required. You only need 20 metres. Other than that, I'm getting back, easing back into my training, which is, which is good. Mark, I, I, I heard up. a bit of training happening mm. on the other day. Someone saw you running, said you look a pretty lean, John. I wouldn't go that far. but I, a lean machine. I said, oh, I saw John out running. He's looking pretty lean. No, I do. My weight always does stay the same, even if I'm training or not training. But yeah. um, but anyway, so I managed to hit my program last week. Um, so I'm pretty happy getting back into it this week. Just yeah. slowly starting to build up. Achilles is still playing up oh, a bit, no. but, but I'm getting over it. Or as in you're getting over it, as in you're sick of it? <laughs> no, I'm getting. It's just slowly, slowly, slowly getting better. So I'm almost there. And other than that, John, I've got a random question for you. Yes. Why do we have toenails? 
don't know, actually. No. I can't figure out toenails. Okay. I was talking about it with Joe last night. Why do we have toenails? Like, you can understand when we were, like, the animal. Maybe, maybe it was because when we were on all fours. Because, you know, you, you can understand nails, well, you sure grip nails. stuff. Yeah, but when we were on all fours, yeah, I guess to, to take back. Because I've lost my toenail, things. you see. I lost my toenail from the marathon. Yeah. And it's still hard underneath. Right. So I can't figure out why we have toenails, other than maybe we went the animal. Sure, somebody will let us know. Well, let us know why we have toenails. Mm, mm. Right, John, you can think about that this week. Bevan's random question of the week. Other than that, what do we got? We haven't got any, we haven't got any famous interviews coming up in the next few weeks. It's just going to be standard stuff, I what think. What happened to the one where John Hancock had set up for us? Yeah, no, I don't know. He never replies. Oh, reply. Give it right to him again. Yeah, yeah okay. Because it'd be good to have Hamish Carter on the show. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Iron Russ. I mean, don't. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. kaha.